we're effectively designing New York City over and over, and we're designing New York City like it was back in 1900 or 1950. When I talk about critical infrastructure, I'm talking about the infrastructure that we as humanity needs in order to survive and thrive. So that's healthcare, that's transportation, that's water power, that's telecommunications, all of those things. At some point in the future, our software can be used to design all of those conceptually. Inspiring. But we are transcending the way that design engineering is done and has been done for, again, probably hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And if we can effectively transcend the status quo, it's going to be better for the world at large. Welcome to hey, another episode of Liquid Assets. We have an amazing guest for you today, um, Adam Tank from Transcend. Hi, everyone. I'm Adam Tank, the co-founder and chief customer officer at Transcend Software. Um, Adam, before the call, we were just talking about you had gone into corporate and once you have the entrepreneurial bug, you just can't escape that. Can you like, what are you, what are you talking about? Why was, what, why was corporate it's, such a, yeah. I, I think I just got frustrated and tired of sitting in multiple meetings, deciding about what font should go on a PowerPoint slide. And in the world of entrepreneurship, there is, there is never a world where you're going to spend any more than 10 seconds thinking about that realistically, if you expect to get anything done, especially in the early, early days. It's all hands on deck all the time. No two days are the same. You're expected to be ultra creative, ultra nimble, ultra agile. And in many ways, the corporate life is the complete opposite of that. And I just found that I love, I love when I effectively can't predict what my calendar is going to look like for the week. Huh. That's a lot of fun for me. And in the corporate world, your calendar is probably triple booked most days. And it's probably laid out months in advance because meetings happen that far in advance. It's, it takes that much time for things to get done. So once you have been in a part of this ecosystem, it's really hard to go back. Let's let's kind of trace that story. What what has been your entrepreneurial journey? And I mean, obviously, I think at the end of that, we should we should leap leap into in, into transcend. That's kind of a little yeah. bit of a, yeah. That a sounds good for you there. No, yeah. I mean, I want to hear a little about Sujo too. So I'm sure your listeners might know you know about you, but um, and we'll talk about how we spent some time in San Francisco together. But yeah. my my journey has been, I, I'm not going to say unconventional, but there's been some twists and turns that have been pretty fun. And I ultimately stumbled into water, which most of us do. Um, not many of us really think we're going to be water professionals from the day we're born. Maybe there's a handful, but generally that's not the case. So I started out as a career microbiologist. I was a food safety engineer for a Fortune 500 company. And I didn't realize it at the time, but what I effectively was doing was determining that the presence or absence of water in the manufacturing process was one of the biggest determining factors on the quality of food. So the presence or absence of water will determine the growth of bad stuff that make you and I sick. And I enjoyed the science of it and I enjoyed the, that technical aspect of it. But what I didn't enjoy was basically like routine memorization of what I felt were boring quality principles and practices. Like I didn't like the engineering aspect of it. I liked being out talking to people I like being out solving problems on the floor. I liked being more, uh, you could call it at the time I ended up finding out, it was basically more sales and marketing. I enjoyed that type of engagement with people. So I interacted with a corporate sales and marketing guy who came to the plant one day. And it's a it's a long story. And it's it's written on my blog. For anyone that's interested, I'll do some self-promo, adamtank.com. You can check it out. And basically, I ended up putting my tail between my legs and crawling back to my cube saying, what am I doing with my life? I have to figure out something different. And fast forward about six months from then, and I had moved to Brazil to work for a small company in Rio de Janeiro, another food company. 
And I wanted to be closer to sales and marketing, wanted to be closer to small business. I wanted to get a feel for what, what it means to be more entrepreneurial and what it means to be in sales and marketing and growing a brand and had an amazing experience in Rio. I came back to the States to get an MBA and then went to work for GE Water after graduate school, which was really my first foray into the water world at large. And I had an amazing mentor um, and close friend, still is now, his name is Ralph Exton. And Ralph was always one to encourage me to pursue my interests. And one of those interests was early stage innovation. Again, the entrepreneurial thing, the startup thing, the, the, at the time we were calling it smart water or digital water. And so I was working with the GE Ventures team to determine what water companies we might want to invest in. And through that came across this concept of non-revenue water and leak detection and potable water systems. So I was fortunate to spin a company out of GE that was a robotics business focused on inspe inspection repair potable water pipelines. That's where I met you, Ravi, was when I was living in San Francisco, living the Valley lifestyle. That company was acquired. And then if you fast forward to today, now with Transcend, a new software startup, starting out in the water industry, doing engineering design automation for critical infrastructure. So designing wastewater treatment plants drinking water-related assets, and then now power-actually-related asset substations, and taking that burden away from engineers in the conceptual and preliminary phases of projects, freeing them up so they can focus on more important stuff. So that's like, that's like the long and short of it. That's awesome. Let's, let's kind of double-click into what they are spending time on today and what they could be spending their time on. Like what, what is that gap that Transcend actually, actually fills? For, for the folks out there that don't know what wastewater, water, and energy look like, like what what is, can you walk us through that journey? Sure. Um, when you are going to design a new asset, and let's just use a wastewater treatment plant as an example. So every time, for those that are listening that have no clue what happens in water, which is the bulk of the population, you turn on your tap and water comes out and you flush your toilet and it goes away and you don't think about it. Otherwise, all of that water comes from somewhere and all that water has to go somewhere. And it takes a lot of effort, money, engineering, and built assets to make that happen. And a big component of doing all of that is the engineering work that goes into thinking about how big should these assets be? How much energy do they consume? Where should it all go? How do we treat it? How do we make sure it's safe for people? And in the earliest phases of projects, engineers don't have the time that they want to, to look at all the potential options for what could exist. You have designs that you've done in the past. You sort of take an old one, you, you know, put a new flavor on it and and push it to the utility or whoever is the person that's going to be responsible for financing it. And that's sort of it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of engineers find themselves in this role where they're copy pasting. They're doing things like spending hours trying to format Word documents, creating technical descriptions and proposals of what they want to design or build. They're moving lines around on a computer screen to try to make things look good. And it's just boring work, quite frankly. I haven't met a single engineer who's told me that they enjoy trying to get an image formatted in Word properly because anyone that's tried to do that understands moving text with images in Word is like the seventh layer of hell. Yeah. So our software takes care of all of that. Our software creates the documentation that an engineer typically would produce in that stage of projects, gets rid of the grunt work, and then lets them focus on what are some more options that might be available to us? What's the, what's the best outcome that we can provide for this utility? And we can, we now have the data available to us because the computer spit it out to be able to make smarter decisions around what ultimately we should be building for folks like you and I, Ravi, to have better lives, to have clean water, to have wastewater treatment. That's super cool. Yeah. I, it was so funny. I was interviewing somebody yesterday and back to these infrastructure systems. I think he said 
we're building the size of New York every single month projected out until like the year 2050 or 2060. And back to what you're saying, right, is if we're if we're building New York City month after month after month a- across the world until 2060, the infrastructure has to be managed well, right? And if you're just kind of throwing it out there and people, one, are not enjoying their job that they're doing. Secondarily, it's just it's just grunt work of shaping images in Microsoft Word, right? I mean, I'm sure it's <laughs> way more complicated than that. But like, right, yeah. you, you know, I, I think there's a m- lot more at stake here from a risk perspective if we're going to be growing at the pace that we're growing. And I think- totally. Efficiencies are there to be had, which transcend then unlocks. That's right. That's right. I mean, we're we're effectively designing New York City over and over, and we're designing New York City like it was back in 1900 or 1950. Yeah, that's what that's what we don't want to break anything. We don't have time to consider new innovations in construction materials, or in the case of water wastewater, new treatment technologies, new digital solutions that can help operate this infrastructure better. We just aren't taking those things into consideration of the planning phase. So I would ask people that are listening, if you are going to build the New York City of the future, what are the considerations that you'd be taking into account that would that would make it look different than what it is today? And a lot of people are going to say, I want more natural systems or I want more natural capital as part of the city. I want more of New York City to look more like Central Park than I do whatever, you know, crammed, you know, apartment buildings that are there. You know, I want more water. I want more, I want more resilient infrastructure. I want to be able to make sure that we can handle flooding or droughts or heat. I want to make sure that it's equitable. I want to make sure that anyone who wants to live here can live here and have a good life. But we, we don't have time to take those things into consideration. So that's what software, ours, and there are others too that, that can do that to free up people to be able to focus on those types of, of outcomes. That's so awesome. Where I know you've had like history in, in, Rio, that you said there's like a bit of a philanthropic slant here too. I mean, you, and even the name Transcend, right? I want to kind of pick on two (laughs) things here. Like what is, what is Adam Tank's vision for this company? I mean, it's not, it's not just a digital software to help wastewater, water, and electrical companies. Like how, what is, what does the future look like for, for Transcend? Our, our dream, our vision is that every critical infrastructure project is designed at a conceptual level using our software. So when I talk about critical infrastructure, I'm talking about the infrastructure that we as humanity needs in order to survive and thrive. So that's healthcare, that's transportation, that's water power, that's telecommunications, all of those things. At some point in the future, our software can be used to design all of those conceptually. Inspiring. And when we go into other things like healthcare, I mean, I just, I I imagine a systems diagram with really, really complex inputs because the inputs are different for an LA County healthcare system versus a Bombay, right? And in, in, in Mumbai, India versus New York City versus Kansas City. Like I think uh the inputs there are very different. And how can we like open the covers a little bit on how this how the software works and how can it mold and flex itself to these other large infrastructural projects? You're you're you are spot on that the inputs required per project or per region are going to differ from one another. So in water wastewater, we have just an unbelievable data set that either automatically populates based on project characteristics or the region that someone is designing this infrastructure for, or it's an input field for the user. So we we basically can enable the tool to ingest whatever type of data that might be required in order to have an output that accurately reflects the, the realities of what's going on in that particular area. Um, the other part of it is that and really what our secret sauce is and our bread and butter 
is that we have built a platform that fully automates and integrates all of the engineering calculations and decision-making that goes on in a project across disciplines. So, so right now, what you'll find in traditional manual design engineering is that in the case of water or wastewater treatment, it'll start with a process engineer who's looking at the process of treating the wastewater. They'll then do their work in whatever tools they use. They'll then hand that data over to a mechanical engineer who's looking at the equipment that might go into a treatment plant. Once they're done, they hand it to an electrical and controls and instrumentation engineer who puts a little more tweaks on it. And then finally to a civil or architectural engineer that stuffs all that stuff inside of buildings and then arranges it on a site. It's all typically manually done within each discipline and there's always a handoff there. So the quality and consistency and the data, it's it's a challenge. It's a, it's a big challenge and it takes a lot of time. We're talking about months and months of effort. So our software, the way that we've architected it is that it's all in the cloud. And when you have these project-specific inputs, it goes into our tool and it first starts out doing the process design and process simulation. It comes up with the answers. It translates that into mechanical outputs and then to electrical and then to civil. And then we use industry standard softwares that the engineers are already using to download outputs. So as an example, a 3D model is generated in the cloud by our software, but an engineer can now take that and open it in Revit, in an Autodesk product, and do whatever detailing they need to. So they have a baseline to start from. So they have more detail, more answers more quickly. And then they can apply their smarts and their innovation, their creativity to something that they weren't able to do before because they were too busy just creating the baseline in the first place. So so yeah, it's kind of, it's sort of a multifaceted thing, but yeah, hopefully that makes yeah, sense. I, I, the, the thing that kind of comes to mind is for folks out there that are familiar with like database design, we went from and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we went from like relational database design to like what is now mesh, right? There's like a whole bunch of other technologies around mesh, but you're taking something that was very linear and put in series and you've turned it into this like web at which you can almost like zoom out to the third dimension, look down on it and figure out what parts are actually moving and not moving versus waiting for the part before you to finish more like a waterfall methodology of like, okay, well now the guy for me has to finish, now I'm going to push it to the guy ahead of me. Um, makes complete sense because if you can look at the network, you'll then begin to see the network effects. Whereas if you're just in the network, you only see the nodes that are right next to you. Yeah, it's it's that's a really good way to put it. It is a systems-based holistic approach and it's an outcomes-based approach. And too often we're just focused on what's right in front of us and we don't have an appreciation for how that impacts either other parts of, in this case, the treatment process or the civil arrangement on a site. But that, of course, impacts the surrounding community which we typically aren't thinking about either. We're so focused on building this treatment plan, we are taking into consideration, you know, what does this look like for the people that surround it? What is what happens to the rates for that community? What happens to odor control? What ha- like how does this impact the surrounding values on homes? You know, we might pay a little bit of homage to it in a master planning phase of a project, but generally it's I'm not going to say it's an afterthought, but that's not typically what's coming to mind first for an engineer. They're just trying to get their job done in the small amount of hours they have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's so funny. I used to work in impact investing back in, back in India in 2011, 2012. And this, this conversation of economic externalities really never came to mind from like a true capitalist perspective of like there, there are just externalities of any equation that you do, whether it's, whether it's driving a car, whether it's not driving a car, whether it's living in a city, whether it's living in suburbia. And everything does have a multimodal relational piece against what's right next to it. Like you just said, the, the, the wastewater facility may have a distinct 
positive or negative effect against the houses that are right next to it, right? And that could be through odor. And thinking about that kind of logical train of thought in, in what you're saying is the engineer just doesn't have time to like encapsulate everything that could go wrong, would go wrong, could go right as well, um, yeah. which makes complete amount of sense. That's super yeah. cool. Yeah, the, and the could go right, like the could go right thing is, is, is one that I really like to think about because there have been so many innovations in not only treatment, but what happens once the water is treated in terms of reuse or digestion of solids to create energy, there's new methods of greenhouse gas reduction and more carbon efficient materials and processes in the systems. And, and today, like no one has time. No one has time to think about it. Those technologies can't be modeled rapidly enough to get in front of the engineers who are, who are designing and proposing these systems to the utilities. So they just, they sort of get stuck. You know, it's, it's the typical value of death. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always like to zoom into the founder journey. Like you said, entrepreneurship is such a vibrant is the word that comes right. Like versus something that's just so static. Like you said, from the corporate side of things where your where your calendars packed out, you know, three months in, a, in, in advance, like you said earlier, what was the entrepreneurial journey for transcend when you kind of first started getting from that zero to one is just so interesting to see. And yeah, for there's a lot of founders, a lot of water entrepreneurs that listen to liquid assets. And what kind of words do you have from them? If you can kind of weave that through your story as well. Uh, the biggest thing that I have learned going from zero to one is to, and I, I would love to get your take on this, Robbie, with the way you built the Sutro. The, the most important thing you can do is sell it before you build it. Because the worst thing you can do as an entrepreneur is fall into this fallacy that if you build it, they will come. People think if they build, especially engineers, fall into this trap. If you build the coolest freaking water quality ma management and monitoring device in the world, that because it exists, everyone is going to buy it. And that's just simply not the case. So what I would encourage people to do and what I did at the robotics company and what we've done at Transcend is go to the, the person or people that you believe will be your ideal customer. We're talking like, write a list of the 10 dream customers that you have. Go after one, two, and three. And firstly, see if you can actually get a meeting with them. It's not as easy as people might think. And you're going to find that product is arguably the easiest part of the journey. It's selling it. It's marketing it, finding product market fit, finding the right price points, finding your distribution channels. That's all the hard stuff. So first, figure out if you can actually have a conversation. And then secondly, figure out if what you are anticipating building or planning to build is actually valuable in the eyes of that customer. How far are they willing to, in order to give you the credibility or the, the gumption that you, or the belief that you need to go and actually build this, this product or this business. And in my opinion, the best way to do it is to either get an LOI or actually get them to invest in the business, either as an investor or as an early customer to fund a prototype of some kind. So that's, that's what I would encourage people to do, especially those that are going from zero to one is as quickly as you can figure out product market fit, figure out exactly what it is you need to build and ideally get a customer to cut a check in advance of you actually building the thing. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that a hundred percent for, for even the founders that I mentor, they get in that zero to one territory, they get so wrapped up in the engineering, right? They're just like, Hey, if I made this button a little bit more accessible, or this thing's like really hard to sign into. And I'll ask them, I'm like, how many customers have you talked to that have actually requested that you need to move the button? They're like, yeah. well, not, I just, I just think it needs to be that way. Yeah. And it's like, well, I wouldn't spend a dollar or, or even a minute of my time changing something if somebody hasn't really requested it, or I haven't talked to enough people to where I now have the hypothesis that I should, that I should change something, um, to make the usability or, you know, the actual 
acceptance of the product better. But right. it so many times I just have to tell people, I'm like, pick up the phone. Like find five, like you said, five people's numbers. Pick up the phone, cold call them, see if this is even a problem they're willing to talk about. Because if they're not even willing to talk about it, they probably don't that have a problem. A that means that your solution is not going to be purchased. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly it's, right. And I mean, you you had background in the in the pool industry, correct? Before you started Sutro? Yeah. 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 I did have a background in the pool. My, my dad actually owned a chain of pool and spa supply stores in Southern California. And through the impact investing work that we did in India, we realized that water sensing was a big problem. And so we we had we had kind of seen the proof of the pudding based on the amount of pitches that we were seeing. People were pitching water filtration, and every time we would ask them around water sensing, they wouldn't have them. And then when we spoke to government mm-hmm. officials, they also didn't really have water sensing capacity or capability that they needed. Initially, tried to sell it for the Indian government. You know, stupidest idea a startup can make is trying to sell sell into the into the red tape that is that is India. And so we actually ended up pivoting the company to go to pools and spas when we came back to the to the US because water quality is water quality, right? You're, you're measuring different parameters, mind you, for different applications that you have. But the spectrum of chlorine is, you know, parts per million of chlorine. And different people might have different levels of what they need that chlorine to be, but you have to make sure, yeah, you're talking to your customers. And when we started speaking to pool owners and the fact that my dad had a chain of pool and spa supply stores. The, you know, it was very clear the writing was on the wall. And we, to your point, did not even start building the solution any more than we already had in India outside of actually getting 10 customers that we had locked in as beta testers. That's great. Uh, paid beta testers, actually. So, um, yeah, entirely. I 100% agree with you. I love the, the, the paid, the paid part of it is huge. Granted, your entry point is a lot different than some other companies who might be selling a new pumping system or a, a membrane system or whatever, right? They're hundred thousand dollar systems or, mm-hmm. um, you know, six figure software contracts. But in any case, you, you typically can still, even if it's an L, a non-binding LOI that tells you something, they're willing yeah. to go through enough of the legal BS to get an LOI signed. That's meaningful. It's a commitment of some kind. But yeah, I would encourage entrepreneurs who are building something from the ground up, do not start building until you get meaningful commitment from who you think is your ideal customer. A hundred percent. Yeah. You obviously sell into these engine. Is, is your primary customer engineering firms or are they the large like wastewater plants? Who do you, who do you primarily sell to? It's a great question. So we have three customer segments and our revenue is about 30, 30, 30 right now. So one are the asset owners themselves. That could be a private asset owner or a, or a municipal water or wastewater utility who have water and wastewater treatment plants or assets that they're doing a bunch of master planning and capital planning work around um, or spending a lot of money on engineering, either internal or external, that they want to start to bring in-house. The second are the engineering firms, and they're starting to realize and come to understand that the billable consulting hour model that they've been used to for probably hundreds of years at this point is not, is not going to get them the return that they need in the future. And so you have a couple options available to you. One is you, you shift to fixed fee work and you find a way to increase your margins by reducing your cost of labor or pulling on some other levers. You can, it can be a race to the bottom where it's all commoditized billable hour work and you know, you're not going to win. But if you start undercutting people, you might be able to grow your business, but obviously it's not going to work over the long term. Yep. Or you find a way to automate and. That option is is where we believe the future is, and that's why we started this business because we believe that that the future is in automation, it's in technologies and automation. Um, so that's where we get excited about. 
The third customer base are the equipment suppliers themselves. So imagine, Ravi, you want to sell a water quality sensor into a wastewater treatment plant. If that wastewater treatment plant is being upgraded or expanded, or a utility is building a new one, and they're using our software to do it at a conceptual level, you want your water quality sensor to be specced in to that equipment list when our software kicks it out. So that way you effectively win that work as early as possible, or at least start building the relationship with the utility as early as possible. Yeah, that makes, I, it's funny you say that. I was speaking to our mechanical engineer and he uses um, SolidWorks and McMaster car, uh, which you've probably heard of. But for those of you who don't know it, there is a, just think about like the, it's, it's the Amazon for engineering components, right? Peristaltic pumps, any sort of electronic components as well. And I think he was telling me that every single McMaster car part or a, a really large portion of them are now available on SolidWorks. So you can have this plugin and you just, code up the McMaster, you know, UPC number or the SKU, whatever it might be. And that part shows itself in the, in the proper length, width and height. You can go ahead and manipulate it. You can go ahead and add it into your CAD design. And I'm like, that's genius for McMaster because if you yeah. put all of your parts in SolidWorks, I'm going to go ahead and buy those parts when I actually make the thing I'm trying to make. And so yes, that's, that's exactly such right. a smart idea to be working with the equipment suppliers as well. It just reminded me of that McMaster car idea. And so, yeah, yeah, it's, on. When you think about the sales cycle and you think about your first, you know, 10, 100,000 customers, how, what was the initial story of how you started getting the product in one of these three? Did you choose one of them and then go down that vertical? Did it start to morph into all three of them? Did you go into all three all at once? What did that, what did that look like? This software was born out of a parent company called Organica Water. The software was in development, has been in development or was developed starting in 2012, 2013. So it's effectively a 10-year-old product at this point. And we found a transcend in 2019. So that there's a six-year gap there. That six-year gap was exactly what you're referring to, Robbie. So Organica built this tool because Organica's challenge was they had this really cool wastewater treatment technology that every time they went to propose to a utility or an engineering firm, the utility or engineering firm would say, well, prove to me that this thing works. We, I can't believe you're telling me that you can build me a wastewater treatment plant that looks like a botanical garden. I don't believe you. So Organica was spending hundreds of hours to put together all of the documentation, including 3D models, in order to get these engineering firms bought into the idea of a botanical garden wastewater treatment. And so at the time, you know, they could do a handful of projects every month to bid on. So they were bottlenecked from capacity to grow because they just didn't have the amount of manpower required to support these bid activities. So the CEO, Ari, of Organica at the time said, I got to find a way to automate this process. I got to find a way to automate my preliminary proposal, my budgetary proposal process so I can go bid on more work. Because by the way, there's also an opportunity cost for the projects that I went after and didn't win. I can't cost recover on those. So for every one that I'm not winning, I could be betting on one that I might win. So developed this tool, took about a year, year and a half. And after the tools developed, Organica was able to bid on dozens of projects a month. I think they went from something like 15 or 20 projects a year to hundreds per year that they were bidding on without wow. any additional engineering overhead. Yeah. So the, the goal was really built for an OEM or the tool was built for an OEM, but they were doing the engineering work that an engineering firm would have to do in order to effectively assess this equipment. So it was basically built for OEMs and for engineers. But as Organica started to, to more fully develop the tool, they started modeling competition inside of the software. So competitive treatment technologies. The engineering firms started to say, how are you turning this? How are you turning these around so quickly to me? Nobody else can do this. And Organica started to share about it. They wanted to use the tool for their own purposes of engineering in other markets. 
So it just sort of became the self, self-fulfilling prophecy. And eventually in 2019, Ari had to make the decision, do we keep this as part of Organica or is there a bigger opportunity here to have it as a standalone software business? And that's when he called me and we spun Transcend out as a standalone software company and completely divested from Organica. So Ari and I as co-founders of Transcend started in 2019 and we have continued to go down the EPC route, the engineering route, continue to go down the OEM route. And we're finding that the bigger utilities that have these assets, a lot of times they do this work in-house. This mm-hmm. is a way for them to deploy more capital more quickly and make better decisions as part of the master planning process. So and it's, it's, it's just, we just sort of, right? Like the ball keeps rolling, momentum keeps building up. And at this point, I think it's, it's too much to slow down, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Why, why transcend? Where did that name come from? It's a great question. It was for better, for worse, my brainchild. So the it's it's uh it's probably pretty self-explanatory, but we are transcending the way that design engineering is done and has been done for again probably hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And if we can effectively transcend the status quo, it's going to be better for the world at large. Yeah. So it's it is our mission. That is how we came up with the name. Awesome. I, I like that. So and I love how you when you went through your vertical of engineering companies, right? They you could on your billable model, drive the cost down to the bottom. But in automating work, and we're seeing this you know, across multiple industries, you now give the ability for people, these engineers, to level up, right? They, they get to now spend their time, their, their precious hours in, in a day in building just more resilient, more interesting systems, more systems that take more into consideration versus doing the work they were doing yesterday. And like yes. you mentioned, right? New York City was built 100 years ago. We can't keep copy-pasting a 100-year-old model that doesn't work in today's day and age. Totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right. And and if you talk to I'd say 90% of the engineers I talk to about their day-to-day, when they go to start working on a project, they have ideas that they want to explore. Like they desperately want to be innovative and creative and and you know, think critically about these problems. But with a billable hour model, you have to do the work you have to do in a set amount of time. And you can't afford to deviate from that if you want to keep your job and keep your customer happy. Yeah. So, I mean, you nailed it, Robbie. Like, not only can you can you more effectively do better work and more fun work for yourself, but you can level up because now you do have time to go and explore new innovations, new opportunities. Get out, talk to the customers more often. Go out and talk to the community. You don't have time to do these things. So I completely agree with you. It is taking your game to the next level. A lot of people think it's competitive. Our solution might be competitive with an engineering job. That's not the case at all. We, I really feel like it gives you superpowers. Yeah. And, and I feel like that the value proposition for engineering companies at that point in time are their ability to then go ahead and build out verticals around the most greenest city engineering firm, the better, you know, the most odor, odor resisting engineering, like whatever that might be, right? You can go ahead and like, Start carving out these other verticals that you otherwise would have never really had the ability to explore outside of, you know, spending tons of dollar on engineering. Um, that's which a, that's a brilliant idea. Too. Kind, of, kind of like ChatGPT, right? Idea. People are like all scared of ChatGPT if it takes my job. I think it's, it's, a, it's an intern that I have to the side that allows me to flex my mind and, and ask, allows me to ask better questions. That's all ChatGPT does at this point in time. It allows me to be more creative so I can go ahead and actually see the crevices of my own mind in which I'd probably need to hire an executive coach for the full day to sit right next to yeah. you when I have an idea, right? It just, it gets you that like one inch further. And that kind of really allows your brain to, to kind of stretch out a little bit more. hundred yes. percent. Yeah. When you, when, yeah, when you, when you have like, if you, if you think about your brain having a cognitive load, 
there's this baseline there that's sort of always there that you every time you want to spin up a new thought process, you almost have to overcome that hurdle. Yeah. I use ChatGPT the exact same way. For me, it, it takes care of that baseline thought. So I don't have to think about that. I don't have to think about like the outline of a blog post I want to write anymore. It'll just do it for me. And then I can focus on the details, restructuring things, being more creative, right? Being more innovative. But if, if I didn't have it, I'd probably spend 10 hours, eight of which are productive because yeah. I'm doing the stuff that ChatGPT can do right, you know, today, you know, maybe yeah, the hours yeah. aren't exactly right, but you get the point. Yeah. I, I love the idea, Robbie. Like I love the, this concept of, of looking into the future and thinking about what are you, what do you specialize in? What is your actual value proposition as an engineering firm? Because if you ask those folks today, most are probably going to say it's, it's our expert. I hear this a lot. It's our expertise. It's the fact that we've done this for forever and ever and ever and ever. But that's what every single one of them says. Yeah. What is your area of expertise? Like, are you the most green? Are you the one that's focused on natural capital systems? Are you the one that's most focused on equitable infrastructure? Like, what is it that you want to do that takes that takes our whole, frankly, our whole world to the next level? That really excites me. I love that idea. That's cool. I always love to invert, right? Like, what happens if Transcend doesn't exist? What does the world look like? What, like, if we... And this is, it's, it's always good to kind of take the, I think, um, not Warren Buffett, but, uh, who's the other guy that, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Charlie, Charlie Munger always says this. He's like, at, at every problem he looks at, he always inverts it. If I was to ask you that question of like, without transcend, what does the world look like? It looks like what it does today. It looks like broken pipes. It looks like sewage overflows. It looks like 80% of the world's population not having access to clean you know, to wastewater services or clean water. It looks like kids dying from preventable diseases due to dirty water. It's ridiculous. These problems don't need to exist, but they're going to continue if we keep doing the exact same crap that we've been doing for decades. Yeah. Something has to change. And I, 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 it's actually, it's a metric that we track month over month and that we report to our board how many people are being impacted by designs run using transcend tools. Are you able to share that, that is, number? Yeah. So today it's right on the front page of our website. Um, let me check because it's, it's updated every month. So I don't have the latest one. It's got to be somewhere in 130 milli. Let's see here in four years. Let's check 146.1, 146.1 oh million people in more than 70 countries. That's awesome. Wow. Every day I wake up, I think about that. That's what gets me. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that get me excited about, about what we're doing. But that is always the, at the end of the day, regardless of how tired I am or if it was a bad day or whatever, that always keeps me going. Yeah. Always keeps me going. I asked this of um, all of our all of our guests. Is there a book or TV show or movie that has, one, just had a profound maybe overview effect or something that just has kind of changed your view on life? It could or it could not be about water. But um, do you have one? Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill completely changed my life. When I was, I think I was 19, I may have been 20 years old when I read it for the first time. But that was where that seed of entrepreneurship was sowed, was reading that book. Think and Grow Rich. Because I did, yeah, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And maybe, you may not get as much out of it because you've already gone down this path, Robbie's, but I I welcome you to read it because you still might be able to pull some nuggets out of it. (laughs) Up to that point in my life, no one had ever shown me what a future in business or entrepreneurship could look like. And I had always had these thoughts of, there's something more than this prescriptive outline that's been sort of put in front of me from my parents and from their parents. I don't know, like if you, like the typical Indian parents show up, like you're going to become a, a doctor, an engineer, or maybe a lawyer, but doctor, okay. engineer, maybe your parents weren't that way. Could you dad? Okay. So for me, it was you're joining the military or you're getting a big corporate job and a steady paycheck every two weeks. That was it. That's all I knew. 
Mm-hmm. None of my family members were in business for themselves. None of them, my, my entire family had been government workers or in education. So, but I'd always felt different. There was always something inside of me that felt different. And when I read Think and Grow Rich for the first time, I realized, oh my God, other, there are other people out there that think this way too. Like, this is okay. This, this is normal in a sense. And so that's, I mean, that's what really started to get my gears turning. And like I said, sowed the seed. Awesome. Okay. I'll have to definitely put that on your, on your profile once we, uh, once we get this episode live. Think and Grow Rich. Adam, thanks a ton. This has been super, super inspiring. I love your worldview for the way that infrastructure and water should be built. Um, for all of those of you out there listening, um, Adam, where can we where can we find you if we want to learn more? So transcendinfra.com is anything about Transcend. You can find us on LinkedIn or just Google search. My personal stuff is on adamtank.com. So I write some stuff that's water related, some stuff that's personal, try to weave, weave them in at times together. And then if you follow me on LinkedIn, I also have a water podcast and a water newsletter that talks about innovations in water and technology. So I think if you search Adam Tank, you'll probably find all of those things. So maybe we'll just leave it simple like that. Awesome. Cool. Um, for all of those of you out there, you can find Liquid Assets wherever you listen to your podcasts, be it on Spotify, on Apple, or on Google. Adam, thanks a ton for joining us today. You bet. Thanks for having me.